You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Jack Farley. So much to get into. The meme stocks, are they back? Plus, uh, we've got a lot of theories on crypto and whether these meme stocks are related to crypto. I'm joined by Weston Nakamura of Real Vision from Tokyo, Japan. Weston, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Jack. How are you? I see that you have a different background today. I do, yeah. I don't have my uh, you know, background of my, my library behind me. Today, I am actually in the Real Vision office in downtown Manhattan, Chelsea, if you can believe it. And Weston, do you want to know something that's crazy? Please. The last time I was here, Weston, I believe it was January 27th or 28th. It was GameStop Day. Uh, so so <laughs> I've been here twice this year, and both days have just, the news has, cycle has been dominated by meme stock mania. And of course, for people who aren't familiar, I'm talking about AMC uh, Entertainment Holdings, the, the cinema chain, uh, almost doubled today, up 95%, up 30 bucks, trading just above 60 at 62.55. Um, you know, the, the peaks that it reached in uh, the, the, the mania of late January, early February, I believe was somewhere in the $20 range. So this is some pretty insane price action. Bed Bath & Beyond, of course, not to be done, done outdone today. Uh, that was up 62%. So meme stock mania, it's back. Weston, what do you make of it? What does it mean? Um, so this is far more uh, deep than just meme stocks. Um, just a bunch of millennials chasing meme stocks and buying out of money calls that they're <laughs> then become uh, shortly thereafter in the money. Um, this is a much broader, in my view, a much broader sort of uh, asset um, shift that has been underway since the first round of meme stocks with GME. Um, and we can get into that later as well. As far as AMC is concerned, um, th so there isn't really anything that's going to stop this per se, because what's happening is the same gamma squeeze over and over again, right? They're just, they, the exchanges just keep listing ever higher strike prices. As soon as they list, all of these, these traders just jump into the highest most strike, which is the lowest, uh, you know, like dollar cost out of pocket. Um, they then buy them in mass in, in, in huge amounts. You know, we're talking like AMC options are trading um, at the second most uh, highest volume, only second to SPY. Um, and, you know, the notionals are huge. You have market makers who are, you know, ha who have to get a hedge. They're buying up the shares and you get this, this you know, this, this cycle over and over again. Um, and what I'll say is that the last time that this happened, what stopped it, and this was with GameStop, what stopped it was Robinhood, who um, essentially had their, uh, clearinghouse margin call, and they, you know, cut off all buying on GME, and then that caused uproar around the world, con congressional hearings, you know, all of that, right? What's dangerous in, in it, about AMC is that this time they can't do that 
right? There isn't really any sort of mechanism to stop this. Yeah, of course, they can raise their margin and all that, but it's not going to be like, uh, like people forget how GameStop ended. You cannot do that again, especially if you're Robinhood trying to go public uh, sometime soon. So that's something to keep in mind, you know, because this can get out of hand and it can rattle the, 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 broader, the broader system. I want to suspend the Robinhood issue for a moment. Of course, that is going to uh, go public soon, and that, that is an issue that we should talk about. But Weston, first break down this gamma squeeze. Um, as you mentioned, AMC uh, is options are trading in enormous volume. I think we have a chart that we can put up, show that of the most traded options today, of the most active options, AMC was uh, was up you know, among the top 20. And in fact, uh, the contract that expires tomorrow, um, well, that you know, stop trading today officially, the June 4th, 73 call option, which I believe, Weston, you know a lot about, and we can get into that, was the second most liquid option in the entire market today. And for a somewhat a small cap stock that now is about $30 billion, but up until recently was you know, not a big player at all, not able to throw its weight at all, that is remarkable. So Weston, break down what is an option, what's a call option, what's a put option, and what is a gamma squeeze? How does that impact, um, you know, exert such a outsized impact on the, on the actual price of the underlying stock? Sure. Um, an, an option, the dictionary definition is, you know, your right to buy or sell a particular security at a particular price at a particular time and all that kind of thing. An option is essentially a financial instrument in which millennials can take um, very, you know, competitively, relatively small amounts of money and turn it into massive amounts of money. Um, or nothing with, at all, I should add. Or, or nothing at all. But they have uh, 100%. They know what their uh, risk is. Their downside risk is 100%. So they can lose everything. And they can make multiples of that. It's an asymmetric, what they call convex convexity uh, return profile. Uh, that's what options do. It's basically you're betting on the lower the probability of uh, the event, the higher the payout. But they make, they basically, by, by participating in mass, they change the probability of that event, and that event being the underlying stock price hitting a certain, you know, higher level by a certain date. And usually, it's very, very short time, like you said, the you know Friday expiry. So what happens is when you buy an option, somebody has to sell you that option, and that's what you know market makers do. And what when when a market maker is sold an option, uh, a call option per se, for for example. Uh, they are now. They now have short exposure to the market, so they are now. They have a, a downside sort of bias, and they need to be um, delta neutral. And they need to be basically neutral, direct, like completely directionless. So in order to do that, they'll hedge by buying AMC shares uh, in the in the market on the listed shares, and they have to con constantly adjust um, how much they're they're buying. Um, you know, with relative to what their you know their their option um, strike price is and where the spot price is. So when you have something like a, a situation where everybody is flooding into out of money call options, these um, market makers are being forced to buy the the underlying shares. That drives up the shares. That therefore you know uh, continues on into this like this feedback loop, and and that's what you get with with the gamma squeeze. It's basically this is what they figured out uh, in uh, in GME. It's not a short squeeze, by the way. It's this is very much so an options play. 
Thanks for explaining that, Weston. I always used to think about options as sort of a way to bet on, let's say, the horses in the race. But I think the key difference between stock options and the racetrack is that when you it'd be when you buy a, a bet on a racetrack, you're not impacting the outcome of the race. However, you are in the options markets, and these gamma dynamics play out every single day in every single stock. Now, it's actually very rare that you have like a, a gamma squeeze. Not very rare, but you know, typically what you have, Weston, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the expert in this space. You've traded at, at these uh, you know equity derivatives trading desks. I'm really just a journalist who's a spectator. Um, but but Weston, I have no expertise. <laughs> Weston, explain explain the following to me. Um, typically, I think what happens is that when out-of-money call options are bought, so let's say a call option, dealers go, um, they they buy the stock because they are short delta when they when they were, when they sold that option. Um, however, if the stock doesn't get to that price, they mm-hmm. uh, can sell the stock back. So typically, there's actually a natural uh, recycling system where things don't get out of whack. But when these when these strikes get hit. Then that's when the real chaos starts, and then new strikes start getting hit. And we saw that today, where you know a few days ago, I'm going to guess that the AMC 70 call did not exist because the the model says that it was impossible. Uh, you know, now it's the second most traded. Well, they, didn't ex- they didn't exist because they just weren't listed. Exactly. Oh, oh you mean you mean they, the the models from the the exchange that yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so Weston, it's it's my understanding, um, you know, that you've been participating in this market as someone who's been. <laughs> You know, participating in the calls of this stock, and you know, has been right alongside the the GameStop crowd. I don't want to say the Wall Street bets crowd, but but the people who have been on this gamma squeeze. Um, tell us what have you seen in the option? What have you seen in the options markets? Like which expiries are you are you were you targeting? Where are you seeing the biggest squeezes? Are you noticing any ripples in the uh, you know the, the surface volatility? Break it down for me. Okay, I, I mean, I. I... I don't, I don't, you know, really dis- discuss things <laughs> to that do. But here, okay. So full disclosure. So what I did was, um, and this we'll we'll get into this, you know, more broadly. But what I recognized was that what's happening is um, when crypto essentially blew up this over the past uh, month, a lot of that speculation, that flow, the uh, froth um, swap, as I call it, went into back into uh, these sort of meme stocks and specifically these options. Recognizing that and recognizing the kind of open interest in certain like higher strike levels and all that, I figured that there's probably a good chance that there's going to be this gamma squeeze uh, underway. Um, and the risk reward is is pretty minimal. Implied vol was not really, I mean, it's it's high compared to everything else, but relative to what AMC would would potentially be under that scenario, it was, you know, it was something that, you know, I can, um, you know, roll the dice for. Um, so I essentially just bought, I, I knew that what they're going to target is the the you know farthest out of money uh, strike. I, there was you know a series of them that I bought, but the most the only one that I still have left, I guess, is the monthly one, and that is the seventy three June seventy three uh, call. Um, so, for example, yesterday when um, that hedge fund came out and and said that they 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 dumped the stock because it's overvalued. Um, that was supposed to be, you know, negative, right? And I'm watching it, and the, I knew that there was just going to be a rebound because nothing is going to. There's no fundamental news that's going to stop this gamma squeeze from happening. And when AMC did not really react negatively or sustain its negative reaction to uh, 
that headline. Then today at the open, 73 strikes on the June March um uh I'm sorry, the June monthlies um that were like I think under two dollars at the time. Uh market on open. I basically just bought like one contract. It's currently twenty-five dollars, twenty-five fifty-five close. So I mean, it's it's they're I bought it way too expensive, but you know, again, this is not about fundamentals. This is not about uh, what is a fair value for implied vol. This is simply a matter of buying high, selling higher. <laughs> That's all it is. Um, and and I don't recommend anyone do this. Like you have to know, not only have to, you have to know what you're doing in options. You have to understand the psyche of this particular cohort of traders. So, for example, I also bought like way out of the money puts, which are also up, even though the underlying has significantly increased because there's demand for the very bottommost put, which is like a lesson I learned in uh, the GME uh, days from 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 January. So, um, are we talking like the most out of the money possible, like the one dollar put? The they have a fifty cent put, I believe. Yeah, fifty. Yeah, That's crazy. Sixty thousand trading at. Stock trading at sixty dollars, and there's a put for fifty cents. I wonder, Weston, if I mean the implied volatility is already so high. Like, is that is that have you gotten as much juice as you can get out of the buying the puts? Because even if the stock goes up, the implied vol is going to spike, so puts are going to become more expensive. Like, is that trade kind of over? It kind of seems to me like it could be. Who who knows? And what if the stock crashes? <laughs> You know, you're not going to get anywhere near, near the money, but you're going to get a rush into that. And you can see implied vol. Implied vol really has. It's kind of like a PE ratio, right? Like once it's once you have a implied, once you have like realized vol at like 200 <laughs> or, or whatever it is, um, that's basically like when a, when a stock has like a 600 PE, um, and somebody says it's overvalued, that implies that the stock trading when it was trading at a 500 PE was reasonable. Like no, a 600 PE or like a 200 you know, or 300 vol. Um, uh, option is basically um, what that means is that people aren't looking at implied vol or PE. People are ignoring those metrics. And so therefore, if you're applying your rationale to that, that is irrational to do because it's not an existing metric that the the, the, the market participants in this scenario use. So so yeah. I don't really look at yeah, implied I look at implied vol just out of curiosity, but I don't let it dictate like, you know, how I do with with this specific scenario. And right. again, I recommend nobody do this. <laughs> yeah, that, you that goes 100%. Um, a yeah. PE ratio, of course, being price to earnings ratio, a way to value the company. And one could think of implied volatility or how much the market is pricing the stock is going to move in either direction as kind of value if you're a volatility investor. Um, Weston, on that point, I want to move on. I've got a question from a, a, one of our real-time uh, Real Vision regulars, Tom Tom, And uh, they ask, from the data out there, is this frenzy still expected to continue, or do you think it's running out of steam? What do you think about that, Weston? Continue as in for how long? Like the next day or two? Yeah, until the end of the certainly to, until until expiry. Um, I, like I said, I don't think that this is going to just go away this time because what what stopped this options frenzy last time? It was Robinhood doing that, like you know, cutting off of the buying. That sparked this whole worldwide, you know, financial populism outrage um, for you know needing to cover their three billion dollar margin call, um, and they they can't do that again. <laughs> like you, you, you cannot do that, especially when you're trying to go public. 
So I don't know what stops this other than them raising margin to like like three hundred percent or something like that. Um, but I, I Tom Tom, I don't know. Um, I, I think that this goes on for some time, and when it should this actually abruptly end, that's probably when you're going to see flows back into crypto to revive that uh, that that asset class. Um, but right now, it's kind of being shifted over in, in, into into this area. I want to get into those um, those cross asset flows, Weston. You have a theory that I'd love for you to expand um, expand on that the speculative money in crypto is related to the speculative money in other assets where you're seeing these crazy flows. In other words, um, you know, crypto and AMC are uh, similar trades. There are similar people behind the screens that are making these allocations, perhaps switching from Bitcoin and crypto into the, the meme stocks that has given a second life to AMC, Bed Bath & Beyond, uh, GameStop. Tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, so. In 2020, retail traders um, began to dominate the market. Um, you can look at basically any metric, but you can look at like publicly traded um, stocks that uh, are online brokers, like interactive brokers, or um, you know Schwab, or uh, I think that TD Ameritrade yeah, is yeah, and TD Ameritrade, uh, Schwab, you know all of them. They basically have explosive growth in terms of. Um, New accounts, uh, assets, and darts, which is uh, daily active revenue trades, and so retail is basically up like three or four hundred percent year over year in terms of their trading volume. Fifteen um, percent of fifteen percent of those traders uh, account for fifty percent, more than fifty percent of market volume, and so what you're seeing is a huge surge of speculative behavior in which these people simply they do not care about losing their principal. They they really don't. These are all just call options. They're they're YOLO trades, right? What that means is like they they don't they'll they'll risk a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars to make a thousand, ten thousand million. Uh, and a lot of times that they, they do. And they'll recycle that and they've already pulled out their principal. So they're really just playing with house money. And so what you saw in, in January was you saw seven of the most um, highly, highly traded option days in uh, history, or since records have been uh, kept since the early 90s, seven out of the most um, you know, single-day call option, uh, like heavily traded call option days happened in January of 2021. The most heavily traded single cash equity uh, day was in January 28th, I believe, of 2021. That's it's also the same thing for um, uh, the single most options traded day uh, was the same day. That was basically happened. So that was January, right? These the speculative flow was happening there. That moved to crypto in February and March, and in February and March you see a massive rise in not just Bitcoin and Ethereum, but in a whole bunch of altcoins and things like Dogecoin and and all of that. Dogecoin is don't forget Comrocket and 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 your favorite Comrocket and all that. All of those like um, those like joke coins, right? You might say like it's ridiculous that like you know it's up like thousand uh, percent, you know, or six thousand percent year to date. But I, what I ask is like, is that more ridiculous though than uh, a, a movie theater chain that is three t three or four times more valuable than it was pre-pandemic 
and 1,000% up or 1,500% up um, year to date. They're just both equally as ridiculous or not ridiculous. But but neither of those these instruments are Dogecoin, Bitcoin, AMC, Apple, SPY, whatever it is. These people are not looking at it as an investment, or they don't care what the what it is. It's just a, simply a vehicle for them to put money into and get some sort of hopefully convex return. And if they lose it, that's fine. But so that that essentially moved into um, crypto in February, March, and then starting in April, uh, and then especially in May, you saw that start to get very frothy and then flow out and come out into. The, and now into uh, AMC. So in March, uh, when the crypto sell-off happened, this is the last time I was on RVDB, um, that day I flagged coinexchange.io uh, as the catalyst for the sell-off that happened, right? I was going to say like there's about $30 billion worth of Doge that was uh, liquidated. That caused a massive deleveraging across the crypto space indiscriminately, which is then going to uh, trigger a institutional sort of VAR shock, and then you get this massive. Question, sh- sorry, what what is a VAR shock for the people at home? Uh, val- value at risk. VAR is value at risk. It's a, it's it's a very simplistic sort of model that institutions use to um, tell them when their part of their portfolio is exposed has too much exposure risk, and they have to. Uh, unwind their positions. And so they kind of just automatically sell some unrelated positions even. Um, and it's just kind of like a, this this run to cash sort of uh, sort of move just to, to, to stay alive and risk, risk manage. Right, right. Um, let me uh, explain a little bit. If you have a lot of volatility, realized volatility, perhaps not implied volatility, then that is incorporated into the value at risk model. So even if a portfolio manager, their view on a, an asset has not really changed, they they have a remit from their value at risk model that says, hey, you have to sell. And by the way, this this goes, I mean, way back. And in 2008, there were or before 2008, there were big bank executives that say, hey, our you know our value at risk. We're not we're not taking enough risk. We need to pump up the leverage. Um, so yeah, it, it's very interesting. It's very um, I think it's you know sort of the nuts and bolts of when a portfolio make manager makes a decision it's not because they have like an, a you know a twitch on their neck and they just they have a certain feeling like there are they have models and they they follow those models rather closely i'd also add that now that we are a year past the mega sell off of late february early march with the the absolute nadir being march 23rd i believe um if you look, if the models look back a year, they're not going to have that huge uh, bar shock. So perhaps that gives them, you know, an extra uh, impetus to buy. Um, so sorry, that was a long-winded, but but Weston. Well, no, 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 but that's it's important. It's that's very important what you said though, because it's 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 important to understand how that works. Because if you believe that Elon Musk's Twitter account can erase a trillion dollars out of crypto by by itself, first of all, that doesn't really mesh well with the whole decentralized thing narrative. Uh, second of all, um, that's not what's happening, right? He he basically is, you know, he's nudged this like um, snowball down a mountain. That snowball snowballs, but then that can trigger an avalanche, right? But so yeah, he might have started something, but the, the rest of the move are things like Varshocks and all of that. It's not Elon Musk uh, related selling. The three hundred million dollars of futures that were sold in in Bitcoin futures that were sold, like you know, at market, you know, at like around nine a.m. on that Wednesday, 
Um, that was not like Elon Musk just realized that this is not carbon uh, or this is like uh, not green friendly. Um, and so therefore, let's sell, you know, a quarter billion dollars for the future. That's that's not that's not what what what, hap what happens. Right. Um, these things trigger uh, each other. They trigger um, stop losses. They trigger margin uh, margin calls and all that, um, and and force liquidations. They trigger stop limits as well. Um, so that means that when a when the security is going down, it triggers a stop limit. So that so that once that's triggered, when it goes down again, and should it go back up, it will sell at that level. So just because everything sells down doesn't mean that you cleared out all the sellers. You've actually activated a whole layer of new sellers on top. That's what stop limits do. Um, so there's this whole basically, like you know, this institutional mechanism and structure that has now found its way into crypto. Welcome to the markets. That's why you have to learn each other's markets, right? Um, so yeah, so essentially that happened. And then um, as of the end of March, or I'm sorry, end of um, uh, May, you have CoinExchange.io close their doors to their withdrawals. Um, and as of, you know, as of, as of late, you're now seeing a potential floor in crypto. Um, those are not particularly coincidental, but you're also seeing a, um, a sudden rise in AMC. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's just like a blip on the, the chart right now, but, uh, two or 300% increase in AMC stock, you know, trading volume from last week. You know, from 30 million shares to 60 million shares, that's a pretty big deal. Just because it's trading 600 million shares today doesn't mean that that wasn't a big deal either. But so you start to see that kind of flow over. And that is, by and large, the same capital. It's the same people. It's the same mentality. It's the same objectives. Um, it's the same investors. It's the same capital. Um, and unfortunately, they are going to dictate a lot of what happens, especially with crypto, um, because crypto is kind of inherently tied to the performance of Bitcoin. And if Bitcoin kind of stays down, you're not going to get a lot of institutional sort of adoption. You're not going to, and you're going to have projects kind of just put on, put on pause or freeze. And, um, and it's, it's unfortunate, but that's, that, that's the way it is. And kind of at the whim at, of this, you know, this, this very speculative millennial um, YOLO um, <laughs> flows. So a lot of good points, Weston. Um, one point I want to focus on is that these assets are correlated. Money goes out of Bitcoin, it goes into AMC. It might not always be that simple, but there is a core connection there. Uh, my question for you, Weston, is how competitive can it get? You know, if it is money going out of Bitcoin and, and into AMC, does AMC have to, to eat Bitcoin's lunch, so to speak? And to, to that point, MR um, in, in the audience is wondering the same thing. They ask, so crypto needs to kill AMC and Dogecoin to get its buyers back. What do you say? No, um, because the people that are doing this, they're not the serious crypto people. They're not the people that are, you know, building out, um, you know, this entire universe of like, you know, on the like the, the on ethereum or, or or any of these sort of these these defi like actual protocols and projects they're not those people they're, they're just looking for they're not you know uh, interested in um supporting that any more so than they're interested in supporting some movie theater chain um so you don't really need any of them they're just kind of this annoying disruption that will at some point probably go away but it's a short term sort of you know disruption that you have to get rid of what you do have to recognize however though is that from you know call it like mid february or so or or march 
that whole right up in that indiscriminate, like, you know, bull market of crypto, that was not like 100% um, actual, like institutional, legitimate adoption and all that. A lot of that was the fraud. So you're just removing that, right? You're bringing things back down to earth. Maybe this is where fair value for crypto is at the moment in the given, um, you know, cycle of development. Uh, who knows? But you, the, like the this isn't like a zero sum game between competing for that fraud and capital. Nor do you want that in your space anyway. This is a time if if it's already left, it ha, if it indeed has left crypto and it has it has not like all left crypto, but if it indeed has, this is the time for you to build your project to, to you know uh, if you're a serious person you know in, in the space um, before they come in and start bidding up prices and and you know causing uh, volatility to the upside and to the downside. So um, I, I, if I were long-term, I would take advantage of times like this where like these, these people are gone and you can kind of build and then, you know, and then kind of wait and hold when they come, you know, and, and just sort of maybe lock in your gains um, at right. the time. Yeah. Right, one uh, final question on AMC comes from Prius Omega. Uh, they asked, so is this just a result of low float volume, insane amounts of liquidity, looking for a home, and just asymmetric derivative bets? Wes, if you don't mind, I'm actually going to take this for myself. Um, I can't comment on the low float volume. Asymmetric derivative bets, 100%, definitely. And to the insane amounts of liquidity looking for a home, I typically associate that with institutions who simply have too much money they don't know what to do with. So you get things like short duration bonds, you know, flirting with negative yields and you know very high PE ratios. But this, I don't think the money is looking for a home. Because when I think of home, I think safety. I, I think you know a domestic something over your head to protect you. I think that these investors are not looking for protection. They are not looking for safety. They are looking for a party, and they do not necessarily care if they get hurt. But so that's my uh my little question. But now, Weston, I want to uh, have a direct question from Carrie, who asks, uh, Weston, and this is specifically for you, any macro reasons that this madness will continue? Also, can you explain a little bit on the TRY, JPY situation this morning, of course, referring to the Turkish lira, Japanese yen? What do you think? Is this from the exchange? Um, I, I, th I think Carrie. it is from the exchange, yeah. Maybe, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, um, great, great question. So, is this a macro thing? Um, yeah, I mean, of, of course, if, if, if you want to define it as, is this uh, in some way directly or indirectly influenced by monetary policy and sort of top-down um, forces, um, then yeah, of course. Um, as it relates to the Turkish lira, okay, so the Turkish lira is one uh, incredible currency. Um, so 24 hours ago, exactly, about... Um, Around Asia FX Open, you saw a about three percent jump in USD TRY to new uh, record highs. Uh, you saw a four percent nearly plunge in TRY JPY. Now, the Turkish lira is essentially a currency that has been, if you were long year to date, if you were long USD TRY, okay, if you're long the dollar against the the, the lira, you would be outperforming the S and P five hundred. By three or four percent, you'd be basically double the performance of the Nasdaq just for being long the dollar against the lira. That's how terrible the lira is is doing uh, as a currency. Um, now, what happens is the following: 
crypto is largely, or Bitcoin itself is by and large uh, being driven by the lira. It's just that directionally, it's very tough to tell at these moments because. Right, and Weston, sorry to interrupt. Right now, yeah. we've got a chart up of uh, the USD TRY and then the BTC USD. And you can see there is a quite, quite a correlation. Yeah. Uh, so, so I don't know which one you're, you're, you're talking about, but like if you look at the long term one, right? Yep, that's the more it. the lira weakens, okay, so the more USD TRY goes up, so the lira is weakening, the more that Bitcoin and assets like gold are going up too, because Turkish citizens are seeing their their lives like fall fall apart, right? This is like this is we in the West with like you know um, you know uh, stable currencies like the dollar, the yen, the the British pound, the you know the the euro, we get to like have the luxury of debating things like. Oh, is this inflation transitory or is it not? Like, oh, I'm gonna like find a better entry point for gold and gold. If you're in a place like Turkey or a an Argentina or whatever it may be, where there's serious inflation happening, not going to happen, not expectations, not five year, five years, happening on the ground, right? Like you're seeing your um the the value of your purchasing power deteriorate by the day, you are not getting into gold or crypto, you're getting the hell out of the lira and, and so on and so forth. So a lot of what drove Bitcoin up was the the deterioration of uh, the currency crisis in Turkey that started back around, you know, 2017, 2018 or so that pushed a lot of that, that flow up. Turkey was very uh, crypto um, embracing to begin with. Um, they, they kind of already had that 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 culture. And uh, they make it not so easy to, to get a hold of gold either. Um, the, the CBRT, the Central Bank of uh, Republic of Turkey, was the largest buyer of gold uh, in 2020. And it was also the largest seller of gold in 2020. And that is very much possible. They just need to buy more than they sold. Um, the, the Central Bank is essentially completely dry of any Forex reserves. They have their policy rate at nearly 20%. They're at 19%. They have inflation at, I don't know what the real figures are, somewhere between, you know, like core CPI, like 20 to 30 or whatever they are. It's, it's, it's very bad, it's, and it's very real. And you have President Erdogan, who is the, what I call the uh, head of HR at um, <laughs> the CPRT. All right, this is a guy who believes, and he just re re reiterated this yesterday, which is what caused a sell-off. He believes that if you raise interest rates, that will um, raising interest rates causes uh, inflation. Not combats inflation, causes inflation. Lowering rates uh, does the opposite. So what he wants is a central banker who can um, keep rates low and keep inflation under control. And you simply can't do that. So that's why you just keep you, you have four cent, four heads of the central bank now over the last three years, you know, because they'll take rates from eight to twenty, and they'll stabilize the currency. But because you know, uh, it, rate hikes are the devil, as he says, they get canned. Next guy takes it down from twenty to back down to eight, um, and then the currency becomes worthless, and then he he gets canned too. Next guy kind of like starts hiking rates a little bit, and then he brings it up a little more, and he's fine, and then he brings it up to 19, and he gets canned. Um, and so what he, what Erdogan said yesterday was he repeated his 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 argument about this um, this inflation is caused by high rates, and he said that rates are going to be dropped in Turkey in July and August, and that caused a sell off in the lira. 
Now, when when that happens, you have people, Turkish citizens, rushing out of Lira and into crypto. So this should be BTC, TROI, BTC, USD positive. But since November of last year, that actually has turned inverse because they when they started tightening, you now see you so you see an inverse relationship between that. And I think that Carrie, I think that we're at the point where we're at the flip towards having a positive correlation again. So previously, it was a positive correlation. You know, Bitcoin goes up as the lira goes down, and the and gold goes up as lira goes down. That flipped to inverse in November when they started tightening, backdoor tightening. Um, and then I believe that, and until now, I've been saying like USDT ROI up equals you know um, BTC uh, BTC down. I think that watching the price action over the last twenty four hours, we might be at the point where. Uh, it might flip back to um, uh, being positively correlated. So okay, Weston, yep. thanks so much. We're we're running a little bit low on time. Uh, how about yep. we do a lightning round where I'm going to ask you a series of questions and you try uh, and try try Turkish lira. Um, you try and answer it in uh, let's say th- uh, 20 seconds or less. Sure. Um, so Mark Finley asks. There's a list of the top 30 uh, uh, high most uh, most sold, uh, excuse me. There's a list of the uh, most um, sold short stocks. So, with, with basically with the highest um, um, short Shortages. interest, is, okay. is there a basket or, or you know is there an easy way? What do you think, Weston, about going long the whole bunch rather than picking one or two? I don't. I don't. I don't know what they are. So I. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess you go. Yeah. Just appreciate the uh, intellectual honesty. Okay. If you want to do that, just 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 make sure that you're you know you you can you can really get hurt on that too. So just make sure you know what you're doing. So yeah. Of course, of course. Um, does XLI still have the chance to rally further as the half year comes to end this month? XLI, of course, being the uh, S and P Industrials ETF. Can it rally further? Of course it can. <laughs> Weston, you're doing great. You're being so quick. I love it. Um, Jeff asks, the Fed said it will begin winding down corporate bond holdings. How do you think this will affect markets? Uh, I think that I think that corporate bonds, uh, I, I think that credit spreads will probably continue to narrow. <laughs> regardless, yeah. regardless, because nobody nobody believes that they're going to start dumping like their corporate unwind is not like you know that just means that they're not gonna they're gonna stop buying right. They're not gonna start selling credit into the market right. Um, and and nobody believes that they'll they'll allow that. So I don't, I don't think that you know. I don't think that there's anything to that. Yeah, and, and if this is in reference to um, halting the emergency lending programs, and I I don't know I, I don't know if this was um, pr- probably not from the beige book or if it was an announcement that um, just happened before this, but. You know the, the high yield bonds that ever that the, the Fed bought that everyone made a huge deal out of was a tiny fraction of their balance sheet. Really, the the, the bulk of the support that that uh, provided to the market was psychological. It was it was not based on on flows, in my view. So I think it will be the end of a psychological barrier, which um, some people, such as Peter Bookbar, who actually is going to be on the platform tomorrow, think is is long overdue. All right. Um, Let's see. I, I think um, I think that's it. Uh, Weston, any thank you so much for joining us. Any uh, final thoughts that you wish to impart, uh, yeah. Real Vision audience? I do have a final thought. Um, so uh, I just want to say that so the exchange, right? I'm going to plug it really, you know, shamelessly right now. 
the exchange is incredible. Um, all of this information that I'm getting is from within the community. We have our eyes on everything. We've been ahead of the, the crypto volatility. We have uh, like all of that, right? In addition to that, I'm working with somebody from the exchange uh, who is a truck driver. His name is Brad. Um, he's currently on the road right now. Um, starting next week, we're going to put out a weekly sort of segment, which is what kind of like what you and Nick do with your breakdowns. He is the um, best macro, real-time macro data um, provider that one can ever ask for. He basically takes a lap around the Northeast United States through cornfields in Pennsylvania, through Boston, through um, you know uh, like uh, ports in in Virginia, to coal through coal mined areas, and he sees everything. He sees used car dealers start to restock. Maybe it's time to short used car, car uh, publicly traded used car stocks. He sees like lumber on the road, like justifying that there is actually indeed um, a you know a, a legitimate uh, need for that you know that rise in, in in lumber futures, and he sees like you know um, a week over week he'll see that there are um, uh, help wanted signs and for employment that go up like a dollar or two dollars per week, you know, and and they're still not able to hire these people. Like th these are sort of very much real time, not backwards looking like um, broad-based CPI indicators or, or, or anything like that. Um, so we're going to kind of impart what he's found. I'm going to try to find some sort of market consequence to it, and we're going to start doing that next week. It's going to be called Exchanging Lanes, and uh, that's Ooh, one of the like many that. sort of things. Thanks. Yes, that's, that's my one talent, my, my clever names. And so that's, that, but that's just one example of the infinite things that the exchange you know, um, has, has to offer. Like we're, we're, We leverage off of our best. So Beautiful. I encourage anyone to, uh, to, to participate. Yes, if you're a Real Vision member, um, it's on the top tab. You can just click Exchange. If you are watching this on Real Vision, excuse me, watching this on our YouTube channel, you should definitely uh, subscribe to Real Vision at realvision.com. And for, if you are a member, you get access to the Exchange. And Weston, what is the URL for the Exchange? Uh, exchange.realvision.com. Um, and we have like... Um, you know, we just had Sean Culkin from the NFL uh, interview with Ash exclusively for the exchange just last week. So we have like very cool, you know. He's the guy who's he's so. the football player who wanted to get paid in Bitcoin, right? 100%. Yeah. 100% uh, converted Bitcoin. Yeah. Hell yeah. Smart guy. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, Weston, thanks so much. Um, I hope that we can get together soon um, on the daily briefing again, as well as on the exchange. Indeed, Jack. Looking forward to it. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Talk soon. All right. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Thanks, everyone. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.